Thanks so much, team. Such a joy to worship with everybody this morning. Uh, so joyful with the kids and even the noise. Noise. It's not noise. It's all joyful noise, right? It's good. Um, hey, my name's Damo, if you don't know me. So good to see some visitors in the house today. Um, leave that there. Um, what a passage, right? This Acts 16 passage. We're going to refer... I'm not going to refer to it um, line by line, but and I'm going to actually completely ignore all of that locational stuff because I don't think it's where God wants us to go today. But feel free to open up the passage and have it sit in your laps because there's going to be some stuff that I think is actually really, uh, really important for us just in little bits and pieces. Um, I wanted to call this one faithful in the stewardship of what we have, um, but then also it's there's an idea here of fulfilling vision uh, through faithfulness. Bruce, do you want to just trim that little reverby thing that I got there? Thanks, mate. Um, so faithful in stewardship of what we have or faithful um, in fulfilling the vision that we've been given. Uh, part of our vision is know God, share Christ, care for people. That's our vision. But actually, in the book of Acts, you get this, this whole thing about Paul and how he's come to Christ and you get uh, vision after vision, the spirit moving. And so uh, I love that whole picture and I want to explore that today. So will you bow your heads with me? I'm just going to pray um, and then I want to want to get into it. Lord God, in this space, uh, you know my heart, you know the heart of the people in this room. Lord, we want to distill what is in this passage um, to unveil the gospel. What is the good news for people in this room? And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us find that this morning. Lord, I pray that you would um, you would still anxiousness, Lord, and you would bring peace, like you said in that John passage that we read earlier, uh, that you would bring peace, your peace you give to us, you leave with us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, all right, so I don't know about you, but with the full weight of COVID being realised here in Margaret River, we now are starting to see the holes and the gaps in our system that were previously keeping our ordinary lives going, right? So I know that the local primary school has had an experience uh, that both the teaching staff um, and the student attendance has now dropped below 70%, you know, maybe, maybe as low as 60%. Um, I know of churches up in Perth that are, um, have moved from two services on a Sunday to just one service on a Sunday because of this season of COVID uh, in WA. And I would guess um, that here at this church, there might even be as much as 40% of our regular attenders actually not able to come uh, at this season either because, well, they're watching online, which is great. Hi to everyone online. Um, or they're either ill themselves with COVID or they're, they're worried about catching COVID in this context. So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, anxiousness going on. Uh, on top of that, if you buy into the media and the negativity of each of the opposing parties that they want to throw uh, shade each other's way, you might be either dismayed or anxious um, as to the result of the election that you've, we've, we've come across, right? Um, some of these things we can control. Others, hey, we've got no control over this stuff at all, right? And all the while, God is calling us to be faithful to the areas of stewardship that we all have. All the while, God is calling us to be faithful to these areas of stewardship. We all have this sphere of influence. 
this is what I can control. And everything outside of that, I can't control except by prayer. You know? And so I, all the while, God is calling us to be faithful to the areas of stewardship that we have. So stewardship is this understanding that God has given you things that you're in control over, right? So from your clothes to your money to the education that you've had to your house, you know, you're governing and looking after that under God's power and strength. And stewardship means to look after that well, right? So you've been given a family. Are you looking after your family at this time? You manage a business. How's that going? You own a flower in a pot. Are you watering that flower? God calls each of us to tend to different things in different times. You know, like, why am I here leading this church in this moment? Um, you know, why does one political party become elected while another doesn't? God is moving behind the scenes to enable people to grow and to reveal himself to everybody at just the right time, in just the right way. And we've all been given a role to play in that master plan. Sometimes we get the sense that, yes, this is what God wants for us and for our lives. And when we answer that call of God, we're, we're excited and we're energized about the possibility of service. And then something like COVID happens and we're blocked uh, from the ordinary path that we might take. And we ask God the question, hey, God, what's going on here? Are you sure this is what I'm meant to be doing? Well, a similar situation confronted Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And that's today's text. And we're going to find that if God calls you to a task and you're faithful in it, that God will be there with you. He's asking us to be faithful in the stewardship of the small things in life. I've only got uh, two slides today. One's for the first half of the sermon, the other one's for the second half of the sermon with just a couple of dot points. Um, do you want to throw up that second slide now, Rach? Um, so what we've got, we've got, is this frustration that's happening or is it an opportunity in this passage? You know, Paul receives this vision What's going on? Okay, I'm, I sense I've got to go over there. I've got to do this thing. I'm looking for a certain thing. And then when he gets there, he doesn't actually find what he's looking for. So we're traveling through the book of Acts, and I love the impact that the Holy Spirit has had in that time, right? Sending people visions and dreams uh, almost constantly to help guide and direct the blossoming of this Christian uh, church. You know, and he does that through the non-Jewish uh, people groups, like promote the Holy Spirit, promoting Christianity, not just to the Jews, but now also to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And prior to today's text, if you look just um, seven chapters earlier, Paul himself converts to Christianity from Judaism. And, this, and now we get it, the Spirit is sending him on a mission to Macedonia. And verses 9 and 10 give us context uh, you can flick there and have a look uh, in this passage, in this chapter, uh, what are we, 16? Yep. In chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. He had a vision of a man in Macedonia pleading with him, Paul, come and help me, come and help me. And he figured that this was God's leading, and so Paul answers this call. He had a dream, he had a vision, and he answers this call. And so he takes some friends with him, he takes Silas and Luke, and they go with him, and they undertook the journey described in today's passage. Right, through all of these things from where they were just north uh, of Judea and they went all the way up over to above where Greece is. 
And when we last spoke about Paul and this conversion experience that he had, the first thing that he did after his conversion was that he went to his local Jewish synagogue and he started preaching about Jesus in his local Jewish synagogue. Because that's what he knew how to do. You want to talk to people about God? Oh, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to talk to people about this revelation of who God is that I now understand. Here, though, Paul answers the call and instead of being able to do what he normally does, he finds himself in a completely different context. What would be going through Paul's mind when he receives such a powerful vision? Come help me, come help me. And he goes, okay, I'm going to go. And then he gets to Philippi and he discovers that actually there's no synagogues in Philippi. There's no synagogues there. You see, Jewish law requires 10 males for a synagogue to be formed. So it seems that from the text, there are not even 10 God-fearing Jews in the entire city of Philippi. In Paul's vision, there was a man calling him to Macedonia. You can almost feel it in the text. You know, it says, we stayed there for some days. We stayed there for some days. And when the Sabbath came, we sat down. You know, is that frustration? Is that anxiety? Maybe I'm reading into it. Where is this person to whom God has called us? Where is that man? To further complicate the situation, inscribed on the arches outside the city of Philippi, there's a prohibition against bringing unrecognized religion into the city. And so this might explain why they might do the only thing that they're probably allowed to do in this space. They basically hold a prayer meeting outside the city, on the riverbank, three missionaries together. What are we doing? Where is God? It's time to seek after God again, because I think we might have got this wrong. It's time to seek after God. It's time to pray. And they call a gathering outside on the, on the riverbank. You know, everything seems to be against me. Our first stop from. A lot of things could have tempted Paul, tempered Paul's enthusiasm at this point. You know, the lack of synagogue, uh, no influence in the city, a prohibition against religion, uh, maybe even an arrogance uh, carried over from Paul's uh, previous lifestyle. Um, maybe, you know, I'm a Jew of Jews, uh, was his previous cry. You know, it might be very tempting for him to fall into old patterns. You've got all of these things added then to the embarrassment of hanging out where women are washing clothes, you know, perceived to be a menial job, particularly in that day. Not so much now. Not so much now. Such a valued thing now. Um, but for him, all of these things don't seem to be the classical formula of a powerful movement of God, do they? Having been trained by the Jews to be a leader of the Jews, it would have been hard for Paul to even consider a woman for leadership in a gathering. But here we find him speaking to these women, and perhaps even God has a plan for him here. Perspective. You know, it's a wonderful thing, right? Uh, so often we only see things from our perspective in that moment, all these things piling up on Paul and his companions. Where was God? What does this mean about the dream? What does this mean about the vision that he had. 
I love this idea of perspective. Okay, there's a great joke about perspective I read recently. It goes like this. Okay, there was once uh, an organization in a forest region that wanted to thin out the population of dangerous man-eating wolves. Okay, so they offered $5,000 for every wolf they captured alive. Two men, Sam and Bob, decided that they could make good money trapping these wolves. Uh, and so they searched the mountains, they followed the tracks, they set traps, and this went on for several days, um, but with no results. Camped out in the middle of the night, Sam woke up to find that they were surrounded by wolves with their eyes red in the light of the campfire, their white teeth bare, their hackles up and ready to eat them. You could see that these wolves were about to pounce. And Sam nudges his mate Bob and he says, hey, wake up, Bob. We're going to be rich. What you and I might see is closed doors, right? Anti-Christian sentiment, uh, perhaps dangerous or hostile behavior might actually be an opportunity for the kingdom of God. Is it that the wolves are closing in? Is it the wolves are circling? Or is it actually, you know, there is opportunity. There is opportunity right here. Uh, in the words of Esther, who knows but that I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Or if you follow the story of Gideon, Gideon uh, God says to Gideon, sorry Gideon, you've got too much going on for you. I need to get rid of nearly half of all of your army. Hang on a second, I need you to get rid of almost all of your army. Uh, and then I'll win the victory for you. That story's been big in my mind over the last uh, few months. Paul's action here in Philippi, it begs the question from us, are we too quick to allow the circumstances of our life to define our level of service to God? If things get too hard, do we look for a way out? It's important to take space here and acknowledge the spirit at work in everybody's life. Everybody in this room, the spirit of God is with you, is in you, is leading you. We can be open to it or we can be blinded to it. And the Spirit never leaves you, even if you're in that place of uncertainty. And so I want to encourage you, be open to the Spirit's leading, even if things look terrible. If Paul had chosen to be blind to God's Spirit, he would have bailed on Philippi. But Paul understood that service to God is always about our faithfulness to God, not about the results. Service for God is always about our faithfulness to God and not about the results. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. Service for God is always about our faithfulness to God and not the results. It's about learning and leaning into those moments of uncomfortableness to see what God can do in those moments. I didn't actually know how many people would be in the room today knowing that COVID was hitting the town pretty hard. So I was, I've included this next passage. We might look at church today um, and say, oh, God's not here because there's only this many people. You know, it might be time to walk away from church here and find somewhere else to worship. Or if we really wanted to get down on ourselves, oh, the numbers are down again. Uh, maybe people just don't want to be Christian anymore. You know, well then maybe we might sense a leading to do something different on you. 
uh, but then that, that new thing that we try, it doesn't go to plan, and we don't get the expected reward, does this mean that we should give up trying new things? I was talking to somebody this week, and I shared the metaphor. It's like us taking a fishing rod down to the beach. And we're going to go fishing. But hang on a second, the last time I went fishing, I cast my rod in, I cast my line in, and actually I didn't catch anything. You know, it really bummed me out. So you know what, maybe I'm just going to go down the beach, I'm going to leave my rod by me here, because I know what I'm going to get if I cast my line in. And what's the outcome going to be if we actually do that? We're not actually going to catch any fish, because we're already so negative in our mind and our concepts of what's going to happen. It's time to actually, no, you've got to cast the line in or you're not going to catch any fish, people. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, that we're not strategic in the way that we spend our money um, or in our time. Because you could go fishing and you could not catch anything because you know that you're not, you know, it's just not the time for fish, right? God is calling us to be strategic in the use of our time and our abilities, right? And he's calling us to steward wisely in this area. But if we choose to bail on bad situations just because we can't see the profitability of it, then actually that's bad theology, if we take that approach, it says that God only does what is profitable. Like he's a business that only cares about the bottom line. It also means that God is limited in power. So he'll only use it in prime locations. No, no, no. God calls us into seasons of darkness or seasons of lean harvest or seasons of uncertainty for his sovereign purpose. So what's God's sovereign purpose for us here at Margaret Baptist Church? Um, you may have heard talk or you might have heard whisper um, over the past eight months uh, that I've been talking about the potential for us to maybe, gee, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to plant a church? Wouldn't that be amazing to plant a church? Now, it doesn't matter at this stage. You might go, what? You might, you might be like, no, I can't deal with that. Or maybe you're like, you know what, that sounds amazing. It doesn't matter what you think about or feel about that at this stage. But it's a simple vision that God has placed before us. You know, we might even set to work at it as if it's something that we can control. But no, actually, God's in control of this area. It's something that only the sovereign God can do. And the timing for it will be in his perfect timing. So I've been saying, hey... Let's go. Let's go. Like, come on, this is amazing. This is going to be great. God's given us a vision to do this thing. And actually, we're just waiting now on the timing. We're waiting on, hang on, when is God saying let's go? The timing for it will be in his perfect timing, not ours. But this I do know, God has placed a vision in our hearts and in the hearts of the leaders in this church and this community to reach our community in some way, shape or form. Now, what does, that, what does that look like? What's the easiest way for us to make new disciples or to plant a church or to do anything like that? I know from my experience, one of the easiest ways to reach a community is to plant a new church, a new community. And it means taking a group of Christians out of their ordinary comfortable space, like Paul, take him out of his comfortable space and his friends, and then have them promise to commit to a new work Maybe two years. Hey, let's see what happens. Let's give God two years to work. See what he wants to do. 
Now, when I say I want to plant a church or say, hey, let's go plant a church together, it's interesting, Paul's vision, like, let's keep coming back to the text, so I'm not just rambling here. Um, In our passage today, Paul was expecting to save a man when he got to Macedonia. The church that I plan to plant, it might not look anything like what I'm thinking in my head. It might, you know, be the conglomerate of all our thoughts or whatever God wants to do. But Paul was expecting to save a man when he got to Macedonia, and yet he found something completely different. You know, not a good or a bad thing, but actually exactly what God had in mind when faithfulness was at the top of the agenda. Moving towards the vision that God has set before you, using those gifts and abilities that he's given each one of us. As best as you're able, stewarding those abilities for his kingdom. Okay, so the next stop point, excuse me. Perspective gained, okay? So are the wolves circling or is it opportunity calling? Okay, you may be in a place like Paul in your life right now. You might look around at things and you ask, hang on, am I in the right place, God? Am I doing what you want me to do? You might be thinking, oh, church plan, that's insane, Damo. Um, And that's okay because God needs people to continue on at home base while we send people off to do new works for the kingdom. But what about in your home life? What about in your work life? There might be circumstances that are overwhelming you in these places. But don't be too quick to walk away, yeah? God's normal mode of operation is to use the overlooked uh, but faithful people to bring about huge change in the world. God's normal mode of operation is to use the overlooked but faithful to bring about huge change in the world. Let's move into the second half. Uh, Stewardship in action. Uh, Practicalities. What does this mean? Yeah. Uh, Paul's going to Philippi, meaning uh, his meeting of the Macedonian man was never about the numbers. It was about that one guy, just come to save me. In fact, there was only one convert when we actually look at the text. Uh, A woman named Lydia... But God used her response and her faithfulness to build an entire church. We know very little about Lydia. Uh, We know she was from Thyatira, which is not all the way up in Greece, but a little bit further around the corner. A city known for burnished bronze and brass and purple cloth. Uh, Lydia was a businesswoman who made and sold the expensive purple fabric. But she was also a worshipper of God, a God-fearer. Since she was a Gentile, she would probably have never even have gone into a Jewish synagogue, if at all. Maybe she would have, maybe not. But if Paul had done the normal things that he normally did, then he would never have met her. He would have missed this great opportunity. And here at the riverbank, though, she had found a place where she fit in, and it ended up being a place where she could hear the teaching that would change her life. In the Greek, it says that she listened and opened her heart. Uh, That Greek word for listen here indicates that continuing, ongoing listening. And that's how we should all be, this idea of being born again. You know, we hear that, born again Christian. I like the idea of being born again, not just born again, but being continually born again. Continually changing, continually being open, continually listening, continually not being um, set, but as in receiving what it is in childlike ways. Uh, in our hearing and our receptivity to the faith. And Lydia here simply listened and she had the courage to follow that path to its practical needs. She listened 
And she goes, hmm, what does that mean? She goes, if this is what God is truly doing, then it's time to get on board. And she says, how can I help? How can I help? And this is what our John reading that Miriam read out earlier was about. Uh, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Or there's something along those lines. It's in there. Uh, go back to the John reading in the lectionary this week. Paul here is engaging with people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus. Yet here he is using their house. So you could almost call this person a non-Christian God-fearer. Using their house as a launch pad for mission. He starts simply with a gathering of like-minded people who fear God. And that was the starting point for the church in Philippi. Someone who feared God, who was being available, caught the vision for what God had in store for the world. And she was the perfect last piece of that little jigsaw puzzle that needed to go in. Let's talk about waiting. Okay, so we get so frustrated when things, you know, we're, we're putting a puzzle together and it's hard to get the piece. Sometimes it's annoying and frustrating. Um, we get frustrated when things don't immediately work. Things don't push ahead. And there are 37 verses about waiting on God in the Bible. 37 verses about waiting on God in the Bible. I love that Paul and his mates, you know, when they find that they can't do what they normally do, hang on a second, God, what am I meant to do? I'm going to wait on God here. I'm going to go down and wait on God. I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait on God. What a great example of waiting on God in our text, right? God, who is more than able to do the work, we're waiting on him. And God is waiting for us to let him put the pieces together. After waiting on God, Paul moved forward with something unconventional. And it was great. Um, I remember about Peter Nichols uh, talking about Howard, who was one of the church planters who planted this church. And the way that he ran the church here when they were first started. He says, Peter Nichols says to us, he says, Well, we prayed with Howard, and then we waited on God, and then we made the call. And Howard says, Well, that's what we sense God's saying. So let's do it. And that was it. There was no second guessing. It was time to go. Is that right, Bruce? Yeah, there it is. Maybe Frank. Thank you. Thank you. Paul is in the right place uh, at Philippi. Uh, on the riverbank uh, with a group of women, Lydia is in the right place too. So listen to Paul. But in that moment, she believes the Spirit is doing something and she believes the word that she's heard and she's taking the next step in her spiritual journey. Okay, so let's, let's take a step out for a second. What does it even mean to become a believer? There are people in this room, right, who will have a definite conversion moment. Somebody will say, yes, bam, now I'm a Christian. Christ is my saviour all at once. And they get it. You know, they get it. I, I knew it in that moment. Um, there are going to be others in this room that have actually needed time to listen, time to ponder, time to come back for more. But the thing is that it's God putting all of these pieces in their place, right, with that jigsaw puzzle. God is using everyone in their understanding and their level of God-fearing at that moment in his perfect timing to bring about miraculous things. Um, last week I shared I had somebody walk through the door and I spoke with them and, and as I was speaking with them, 
um, it became clear that they had one of those roadblocks to faith and I needed to uh, either confront that and absolutely smash them down or actually I could accept them for just who they were at that point with their understanding. And you know what? They'll get it one day. And maybe, maybe they won't. Maybe they will. But hey, it's just so great to have them here. You know, that's arrogance in my part to say, hey, immediately as you walk through those doors, every single person in this room is going to have a miraculous understanding of all the doctrines and all the theologies of how everything works and be a neat little Christian with all of my uh, understanding or all of even the elders' understanding. It doesn't work like that. Everybody starts at that point of, hang on, I fear God. And then it moves up from there. Right place, right time, God ordained. And Jesus never uses or outlines a methodology about how to become a Christian. Uh, I need to let you know that I hate you know, most of the evangelical models of trying to work out who's in and who's out of Christianity. Um, it's just simply not our place to judge, right? Bruce talked last week, uh, two weeks ago, about salvation belonging to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. And Jesus never says to us, hey, say John 3.16 and pray to let me in your heart. He never says that. But what he does say, he says this. He says, hey, change your mind about what's good for you because it's probably the wrong thing that you're chasing after. For those that need the word, repent. That's it. Change your mind about what you think is good for you because it's probably not. Follow me. Believe. These words are in there. Obey. Hey, change your life. Get right with God. Live in a way that's in alignment with what God wants for your life. In alignment with righteousness, with alignment with holiness. In alignment with understanding who Jesus is. Every other spiritual step that we say you have to do to be a Christian, it's, it's culturally appropriated in a sense. You know, there are helpful forms and they are helpful forms that encourage discipleship. But in the end, Christ is more interested in simple faith than in big fancy prayers or practical, um, you know, big spiritual actions. And so I want to be where Jesus is in that regard. I want to live my life using that simple faith methodology. I want to let go of culture. I want to let go of Western culture. I want to let go of Christian culture, Elon. I want to distill what the gospel is, and I want that gospel to be able to be placed in new ways, just like our missionaries are doing. Uh, Sally Pym on there, uh, on her tagline, on her Global Interaction Card, Mission Month. Sally Pym, read that tagline. It's a great tagline. Putting the gospel out of our culture, taking our Western ideas of what culture is and implanting it into their culture to allow their culture to express Christianity in the ways that it works for them. Brilliant. So good. And we see that step here for Lydia. Okay, so the first European convert from Philippi's cultural norms to Christianity, her simple act of faith. Here, I believe, use my house. This was timely. It was, it was good faithful stewardship of her resources coming back to the stewardship idea for Paul, for Silas, for Luke to refuse to offer her, uh, to refuse to accept her hospitality would actually be saying hang on I don't believe you I don't believe that you're a Christian I don't believe you've come to understand about Christ and so they go, they say actually it's not our place to judge, if someone welcomes you this is classic uh, Luke 9 and 10 read your Bibles about how Jesus sent out the 12 how he sent out the 72 if someone welcomes you in you take that hospitality take it stay there until it's time to leave classic stuff okay 
And they do that here. Paul walks in. He says, you know what? You're offering your house. I want to use it. This is great. Let's go. And this is how you grow the kingdom of God. Next up point. Okay, everyone's got a home. When was the last time you had someone over? Man, COVID makes it hard. Oh, so hard. But we can be creative in this space, yeah? What does that hospitality look like for us? To bring someone into your home, it means to upset your order and your ways of doing things, right? To be open to something different. Now, some people are naturally adjusted to this. Others, not so much. Some people need the house to be clean. Others don't care if you see that the bomb has dropped in their lounge room. Um, you know, I love that I go to people's houses or that people have come to mind and, you know, all that we've had available to eat is ham and cheese toasties. Ham and cheese toasties, oh, so good. And here we are, oh no, we've got to cook a big meal. No, 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 ham and cheese toasties, people. So simple. All right, I remember when I was 20, I used to go for a simple breakfast and Bible at a mate's house and all we had was a piece of toast together. And this is how we did hospitality. This is how we grew each other's discipleship to understand more about the Bible, more about each other and what God was doing. We prayed for each other. So good. It's so simple to build into people's lives if you're available and you're faithful. Lydia, she was able to be available. She was able to be hospitable. She had the space. Uh, she had the money because the size of her house, because of her job. All she needed to enable that to happen for the kingdom was a hardship. And God here did a work, clearly using this woman. And I want to champion that in our, in our church, in our faith community also, yeah? Okay, so what's the end point, right? Okay, you've got your, you still got your Bibles open at that verse. If you jump down to verse 40, Paul and Silas in that verse are encouraging the brothers and sisters at Lydia's house. Hang on a second. Was this brothers and sisters? at Lydia's house in verse 40. Just 25 verses ago, there were no men. Where did these brothers come from? Well, actually, they had to come from Lydia and her evangelistic hospitality. Her home was once a statement to the community about her wealth and her success, but by faith it became an outpost for mission for the kingdom of God. By, by verse 40, her home was a church. I got not a lot left. Okay, last up point, uh, stewardship. So Lydia, by simply offering her faith, uh, offering in faith, her gifts and her possessions, she started a church at Philippi. Paul, though, uh, it didn't look like anything that he was originally intending. He was faithful in the way that he used his gifts. He felt God saying, hey, go this way. He thought, you know what, I'm going to do that. I understand about God. I'm going to share that with people that I interact with along the way. It doesn't matter if it's what I normally do. He was faithful in the stewardship of his gifts. He was obedient to the initial call of the Spirit. He obeyed. He was able to encourage and give the church the understanding of the work of the Spirit. Paul, Silas, Luke and Lydia, our community. They're working together, each with their gifts and abilities. And this is a great picture of the church and how church plants start and churches start. It's a great picture of stewardship of our abilities and our resources, even when things don't look like how they're meant to go. So as I conclude today, how are you doing at being a steward of all that God 
has given you? How is that houseplant in a pot that you have? Is it being watered? How's your house? Are you using your influence? Are you using your gifts and your abilities to do what you can where you are? Are you listening like Paul did? Are you listening like Lydia did? In such a way that you're taking the next steps in your own spiritual journey? Are you letting circumstance uh, determine your devotion? Or you're actually nurturing just a simple faith step at a time perspective? Last question. Are you willing to open your heart like Lydia did and offer all you have in service for God? Let's pray. Holy God, you've called us to follow in the way of your risen son and to care for those who are our companions. Lord, not only with words of comfort, but with acts of love. Lord, I love that you enable us by the Spirit to do different things and you call us with visions and dreams. And Lord, I, I want to pray for more of those as we grow this church into a place that just resembles your grace and your love as a place that helps people know God, a place that helps people share Christ and a place that cares for people. Lord God, she, I pray that we could... Um, Continue to seek to be true friends of all. And Lord God, we offer this prayer on behalf of the church. And we offer this prayer on behalf of the world. Lord, guide us in this path of discipleship. Simple faith steps. Being obedient. Opening our heart. Continually being reborn. So that as you have blessed us, we may be a blessing for others. Bringing the promise of the kingdom near by our words and our deeds. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kim. Um, sing one last song to close. I'd love you to meditate on the words, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure.